Hi, I'm Alan Hennis of the Nightingale Collaboration, and you're listening to the European Skeptics Podcast, the real ESP experience. You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 72. I'm your host, Andrzej Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey, son, hey, son, did you say 72? For some reason, it, that just blows my mind. 72? That's yeah. good. 72 is the number of... Of what? Virgins somebody gets. Oh, yeah! <laughs> I think... Uh, is, it? is it? I don't know. But it's a big number anyway, and uh, we can't yeah. call ourselves beginners anymore. We have to find no. another excuse. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yes, okay. this is exactly right. 72 virgins are waiting for those who kill themselves. Oh, really? In the in name of the Islam. Okay, oh, see okay. ya. Let's not uh, let, <laughs> Let's not go there just yet. 72. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. That's a big number. That's a lot of virgins. Virgins and no <laughs> virgins. That's, you know, it's a lot of hear, hard work. I hear it could be grapes and it's a matter of translation error, <laughs> <but> I, Oopsie. <laughs> what? Here you grapes. Simple mistake mm. to do, make. You All right. Quite... Yeah, it's like like the virgin versus the young girl. What? What? It's it's a translation problem in the Bible as well. What are we here to do? We're here to interview interesting person. Yeah, actually, we do have an inter- interesting person to interview. That's Alan Hennis from the Nightingale Collaboration. Woohoo! So basically, this is an interview episode, but. Uh, Please don't forget that we are still open for any suggestions, uh, recommendations, um, any feedback, any kind of feedback, um, especially like positive feedback. But if you want to criticize us uh, and you have a good reason to do so, please uh, don't hesitate to do it. And uh, our contact details haven't changed. Uh, You can still reach us by emailing us on info at theesp.eu. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at espodcast underscore eu. Uh, fill in the contact form on our website. And the website address is theesp.eu. Or you can follow us on Facebook. And as um, Andres said, uh, please leave us a positive review on iTunes if you get us our podcast through iTunes. And spread the word. And please check out the events page on our website where you can look at all the skeptics in the pub events all over Europe and other things that are coming up. Uh, And if you go to our website also, please, could you maybe send us a few euros here and there? Because we badly need it. No, we don't badly need it, but we would appreciate it very much if you would be so kind. Okay, so I think we are all ready to move on to our interview with Alan Hannes. 
On every other episode, we usually interview a person representing an organization or project, either from a certain European country or stretching across borders. Today, our guest is Alan Hennis, co-director of the Nightingale Collaboration, a UK-based group focusing on questionable claims in healthcare. The organization he leads was presented with the Occam Awards for Best Skeptic Campaign in 2014 and continues to be among the most prominent British organizations in the skeptic movement, involved in numerous collaborations as well. Alan, welcome to the show. Hi there, thanks for having me. Um, it's good to, good to talk to you. Um, we have uh, met a couple of times in uh, uh, at uh, QED, I That's believe. That's right, yes, yes. Yeah, which we all admire and love. It's a, it's a great <laughs> event. It is indeed, yes. For which the tickets came out on sale 1st of May, and I'm sure there'll be lots of tickets left, but they go quickly, so grab them while you can. Hmm. Especially, especially uh, the gala dinner tickets, because Absolutely. those are the ones that run out yeah. Right at the beginning. Fast. They yeah. may already be over. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> very true, because I think they sell them out in the first day or two. So. so, true. Okay, but back to the Nightingale collaboration, which has a very nicely sounding name, but I believe the origin of that name is not the, the, the name of that very nice bird, but rather an important <laughs> figure in the history of science. Is that correct? That's right, yes. Um, we struggling to remember to, to come up with a name when we thought up the idea, Simon Singh and uh, myself and a couple of others. And uh, we, we came up with Nightingale Collaboration. Most people th- think of Florence Nightingale as um, yeah. a nurse. And of Oops. course, she, she was and she made you know, tremendous inroads into to health, in uh, particularly after the Crimean War and during the Crimean War. But um, what a lot of people don't know, except... I'm sure you do, is that uh, she was also well known for a commitment to using robust evidence to yep. decide what worked in improving health care. Um, she was the first woman to be elected to the Royal Statistical Society and, uh, the, and uh, an honorary member of the American Statistical Association, if I've got that right. So, um, and, and, and there are, there's a chart that's named after her, Nightingale chart, which is a bit like a pie chart kind of thing, exploded yep. pie chart. So we, we thought that was a, a, an interesting, catchy name and uh, we, we use her to acknowledge the legacy that she left. Mm. So, so when and how did it all start? The the organisation, I mean, um, it started over six years ago. Um, everybody knows Simon Singh, don't they? Yes. Um, oh, yeah. Quite a lot. I think yeah. all your, Quite a lot your, of people. <laughs> <laughs> all the podcast people will, I think. Um, you know, he was he was sued by the British Chiropractic Association for something he wrote in the the Guardian newspaper newspaper in in the UK um, about. Something they didn't like, he said about um, um, the, their claims being bogus for um, uh, a variety of childhood ailments, including bedwetting and colic and asthma. And uh, they didn't like that. Or on behalf of their members, they decided to try and sue Simon. Long story. I um, won't go into that. But um, I had just moved down to London from from Scotland. Those who know accents will know I'm, I'm not from London. I am from, from Scotland. And I was, I was in between jobs, had nothing much to do, started looking at chiropractors' websites and seeing all the same claims that um, the, the British Chiropractic Association were trying to um, uh, sue Simon for. And um, I had a look at the evidence, and as far as I could tell, there really wasn't very much evidence at all for, for any of those claims. So, um, chiropractors being a statutory regulated, um, um, profession in the UK, I complained to the statutory regulator. And I, on one morning, 
uh, early in the hours of a Monday morning, I submitted 524 complaints, um, which kind of grabbed their their attention. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there there is a a, um, a lot of you will know um, uh, Andy Lewis's website, the Quackometer. Um, oh, if yeah. you look up on there, you'll find a le- an email that went out. My um, complaints would have arrived on their, their desk at nine o'clock on Monday morning. At 12 minutes past nine, there was an email went out from one of the other um, chiropractic trade bodies to all their members saying, take your websites down, take oh. in all the leaflets, um, we're wow. under attack kind of thing. Wow. But of course, they're only under attack if they were making claims that you know were, were, were false or misleading. Sure. Um, but anyway, to cut a long story short, because it's that's a complete episode on its own, I think. Um, I I didn't know Simon at that time, but we we did meet up, um, and uh, he said, you know, what you did was was fantastic. How would you like to carry on doing that? You know, I thought, yeah, that sounds like a, a very good thing to do. It's something I've always wanted to do is to try and crack down on misleading claims by getting the regulators that are already there to um, do their job properly and to properly enforce their their own rules. And so we, 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 we set this up. Um, it's just myself and my wife, Maria, although we, we call ourselves a collaboration because we were collaborating with, with lots of other people on various things, whether we need experts on particular things or just skeptics to do particular things, to go and look up websites and gather information and, uh, and, and whatever else and submit complaints. After when Simon's case became, you know, fairly widespread, particularly in places like the Bad Science Forum, um, run by Ben Goldacre. Um, there's a lot of skeptics saying, um, what can I do? I want to do something. How can I help? Um, so we, we provided on our website, and we still provide on our website, lots of tools to help people decide what might be against a regulator's rules or code of practice or whatever, and uh, give them advice on, on how to make a complaint mm-hmm. and try and get the misleading information sorted out. But without making that decision ourselves, and we really got to emphasise that, we're not making any decisions it's up to the regulators to do their job and for them to make the decisions. So, so how many people are involved in the Nightingale collaboration? Just two, just myself and my, and my wife. Okay. It's just the two of us. But there's lots of others who, you know, we, we know, you know, uh, Professor Ed Zardens, you all know, mm-hmm. uh, David Calhoun and a whole bunch of others are, are on tap, if you like, you know, if we ever need any advice on, on things, then uh, they're there for us to, to call on. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a good name, uh, the collaboration in that regard, because yes. you are actually working with experts. Absolutely, yes, mm. yes, mm. yep. Uh, and personally, do do you have any special expertise yourself, or are you just, uh, well, happy amateurs, if you will? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think there's any qualifications in making complaints. No, um, no. <laughs> I, it goes back quite a long way, but I made my first complaint about 14 years ago, I think now. So the, this, you know, the complaint about chiropractors wasn't the first thing I'd done. But I had a full-time job at the time, and you know, just occasionally submitted uh, complaints to the the ES. I'm not going to say advertising stands authority every time. The ESA. But um, uh, yeah, and I think in 12, 13 years ago, I, I happened to pick up a leaflet from a traditional Chinese medicine shop. That there were there were a big chain all over the UK uh, called Doctor and Herbs, and uh, picked up a leaflet as I was passing by. And uh, I looked at Leaf and I thought, they can't make these claims. They can't surely claim to, to treat whatever it was they were, they were treating. And even the name Doctor and Herbs sounded like, you know, they were real medical doctors. So I put in a complaint, my very first one, a rather, um, 
tentatively to the SE, and I I won on just about all the points. It took a wee while for them to to deal with it, but um, I won on just about everything. That was quite a, a good a good starting point, I think. And uh, they they had to change the leaflets um, <laughs> and remove most of the claims. So we can establish that you are a bit of a troublemaker. Yes, I, I absolutely. <laughs> a serial complainer, I, I describe myself sometimes. Serial complainer, <laughs> I like that. So this has this has so far worked out quite well for you. Uh, it has, yes, yes. Um, I think um, if you look at our website, you can see some of the um, the successes we've had, particularly the things with the, with the Advertising Sands Authority that regulates um, yeah. advertising. And we coincided our, our launch on the 1st of March 2011 with the extension of the remit for the ASA to cover claims made on sellers, traders' own websites. So um, homeopaths who were advertising, you had a website where they were advertising the services. If they were making claims there, then from the 1st of March 2011, that was covered by the ASA. So um, we could make complaints about um, all the misleading claims that were being made there, which we did. And um, we, we encouraged our supporters to do the same. Um, unfortunately, the ASA couldn't quite cope with the volume of complaints they got. Um, we only submitted a few ourselves, but um, quite a lot of our followers were quite anxious to do something. And uh, I'm not sure of the, the final figure. There were certainly a couple of hundred complaints went into the ASA. Yeah. In the first so, so do you do you uh, give advice to others who want to help to to send those kinds of complaints? So yeah, and there is there is advice on the website telling you how to make a complaint, and you know it, it it's, it's one of the things is it's predominantly UK, and one of the reasons is the regulators are pretty different in in different countries. So it really has to we've had to focus on the UK. I don't think I could cope with with you know trying to. Uh, cover other even other European countries because they're all all the regulations are different and they're different ways of doing things and uh, never mind you know different languages. Um, so th- it's very UK centric, but there is some general advice there that might be useful to 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 other people in in, in other countries. And one of the main things is you know keeping it factual and keeping it polite and uh, you know not letting your emotions get away with you and not writing in big capital red letters saying this is atrocious this is dangerous claims you just point out where you think some questionable claims are being made and let the regulator um sort out and decide for themselves according to their own rules whether any you whether to uphold your complaint or, or dismiss it yeah so, so how exactly do you go about it? How do you, you know, how, all the way from how do you find something to <laughs> to complain about, and how do you do that in the best way, and how do you know where to turn to? Because there could be different regulatory bodies, I guess you can turn to. Yeah, I, I think that that's that's my that's my area of expertise. I think is is um, understanding. There's there's two a couple of main areas: Advertising Science Authority and the medicines regulator in the UK, which is the MHRA. Um, but if I, I'll try and call them just the medicines regulator. And that's the two main kind of regulators. We're talking about homeopaths and herbalists mainly, although obviously there's a wide range of other questionable claims being made by other uh, practitioners of complementary alternative medicine, whatever you want to, to call it. It's not a very satisfactory term. But with the ASA, we, we've actually not really made many complaints recently to them. And that's because the job we gave them with homeopaths, they're only really now getting to grips with. 
Um, it took them several years to um, try and find, figure out how to deal with homeopaths. Um, they had been used to dealing with alcohol manufacturers, you know, um, and tobacco companies, and you know, getting them to comply with the rules. But the homeopaths were a completely different kettle of fish, if if that's a, if that translates properly. Yeah, sure. Um, Why is that exactly? Because, I think because you know the the tobacco companies and alcohol come to use them as as, as examples. They're big industries, um, but they do have reputations they want to maintain. But they, they they also do try to want to push the boundary of what is acceptable in adverts. But in general, you know, there there there's trade bodies that work for them. So the ASA, I, I don't imagine they're dealing with individual companies, but even then, those companies like, like Diageo, you know, they're worldwide big companies, and you know they they want to you know stick to the rules as best they can. Homeopaths are all individual; they're all working for themselves, and you know all think they're right, and the ASA is out to get them, and we're out to get them, and uh, science is wrong and biased and the evidence is there if only we, we we could accept it kind of thing so they all think they're right i think it's a different kind of way the asaf had to try and figure out how to work with um there are some homeopathic trade bodies like society homeopaths and the alliance of registered homeopaths and uh, a couple of others and i think they have tried to work with them with varying degrees of success but now we know, although we don't know the results yet, we know the ASA wrote to three or four thousand homeopaths. What's that? But nine months ago now, I think six nine months ago, saying, "Look, here's the rules. We want to help you to um, try and comply with them. If you don't comply, uh, we're going to be we're going to give you a few months, and then we're going to start checking randomly some websites. If we find still pretty, you know, not complying, we'll be referring some." homeopaths to trading standards which is the legal body that has the powers to prosecute so the ASA is an, a voluntary regulator except complying isn't isn't voluntary people must comply advertisers must comply but they have fairly limited powers on what they can do and sanctions they, they can impose and that's one of the big differences if you're a big alcohol company and uh, you get a, an adjudication against you because of something you've you've said that you can't substantiate that that makes a lot of publicity and you your reputation as a big multinational company can suffer from that and the ad agency because most of the big companies use ad agencies um they they get mentioned as well and they, their reputation suffers for your local homeopath around the corner in the, the little um clinic or shop it really doesn't matter whether the SA adjudicate against them or not um so the the, the sanctions that have that they open to the SA are a bit limited but um, they they have the power to um, refer persistent or um, offenders to trading standards, and trading standards can then make up their their mind whether to prosecute somebody um, under consumer protection regulations. And they've started to do that now um, over the last couple of years. They've not done any homeopaths yet, but I suspect that's going to come um, fairly soon, maybe in the next few months. Yeah, but all what all what you just said. Uh, mm-hmm. brings about a question that is kind of my uh, monomania. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely ob- obsessed with the idea that, that mm-hmm. scientists and science should be much more involved in politics in, the, in, in terms of, of trying to affect regulations and uh, lawmakers' work. Yes. Where do you stand in that? <laughs> um, just moving on from what I, I said, that we're, we, 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 we haven't really 
done many ASA complaints recently. MD with the right set of skills and a bit of um, thought can, can put complaints in. That's fairly straightforward. What we wanted to try and do, and where we thought my you know strengths were, were on doing strategic stuff mm-hmm. about um, if we think a regulator isn't doing a job properly or the government isn't doing its job properly, perhaps, mm-hmm. then maybe um, trying to work at that kind of level that can, um, I'll use the word undermine, but it's really trying to get the regulators to do a stronger job of what yeah. they're doing. For, for example, things like the General Chiropractic Council, which is the statute regulator for chiropractors, um, had a consultation on their guidance for their registrants on advertising, on social media, and there was a, a range of, of things. So mm-hmm. we, we spent some time putting together a response to that. Now, a lot of sceptics can do that, but it actually takes a fair bit of time to do to try and understand what the current rules are what the legislation says, um, and then put together some kind of coherent argument about um, why those guidelines are inadequate or where the holes are in it and that need tightened up um, and what it will, will mean to consumers kind of thing. So it's, it's doing that kind of thing, which takes up an incredible amount of, of work. And so we have done quite a lot of um, you know different consultations, things like um, on homeopathy. Those who know uh, Marsh and Laura at the at um, Good Thinking Society, one of their main things that they've been doing was um, our CCGs, which are clinical commissioning groups, which are the groups of GPs that commission services, particularly to round about Liverpool where where Marsh is, with some a bit of um, persuasion they started doing a consultation on whether they should carry on providing that, whether they should stop it. So I produced, a, our, we provide our own um, consultation response to that, which um, I think it was either the Wirral or Liverpool um, described as being um, wholly informative, which I thought was probably as mm. good a praise as we're going to get. Mm-hmm. But it, it did try to go through the arguments that homeopaths use for trying to say how great and fantastic and popular their homeopathy is and why they should continue it so that that took quite a while to to put together a lot of people could do it but it does take some time and effort to do so we've done a few of those but it's things like that it's responding to the department of health uh, on various consultations and, and to the asa you know the asa occasionally they revise revise their rules doesn't happen all the time but there seems to be a steady stream of them you know quite a few other skeptics um i know do put in their own um, responses and they're all all very very welcome. A decent regulator doesn't go by the number of responses. Homeopaths like to think you know they just swamp um, a regulator with um, their own comments on their own anecdotes about um, how great homeopathy is that um, they will win the day. But um, most regulators go by evidence, hmm. which is not to the homeopath's liking, of course. That on the other hand, we've we've um, even on this show we've had a couple of conversations about that. That um, mm-hmm. even though uh, when it comes to GMO uh, regulations um, yes. or uh, or vaccination uh, related regulations, sometimes lawmakers do go with the flow and do go with the public opinion even though mm. they do know that uh, evidence doesn't show that that it's it, it holds water mm. uh, i think it maybe depends on the the, the body um that, that's doing the regulating mm-hmm. and who's of compiling the the responses and how the um because sometimes you know that on some consultations you get hundreds or thousands of responses that it's uh somebody there who maybe 
just you know pools it all together. Mm-hmm. You know, they probably note that you know there was some um, five hundred and fifty said this in their response and told the the anecdote of how it helped their their great aunt or um, great aunt's lumbago or something or other, and they, they may just note that down. So it, it may sway some, but I think you know broadly, I think most regulators we found, if you present them with good strong evidence, particularly where you. You're specifically, and and you can anticipate, again, just to, to use homeopaths as the, the the example. We I know the 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 arguments homeopaths use. I see it all the time, so I I know how to counter those arguments with evidence. And you can give the the regulator, in this case, you know, the, the CCG, the the ammunition, but with which to counter the the, the arguments that the the other side are making. And mm-hmm. I think they, they they welcome that. I think. Yeah, and this is this is why I keep saying that uh, we should be engaged. I mean, by us, uh, I mean the the skeptic movement that we should be actively engaging in political lobbying because uh, by that I mean we should let the the lawmakers know that there are those out there who care about the evidence because otherwise, yeah, definitely, if they don't hear about that opinion, uh, they're not going to go with it. I think you know that they um with um government things particularly political things you may be ignored anyway but if you don't put your 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 tuppence worth in you don't put your exactly. response in then they they definitely aren't going to pay any attention to you. Sure. It was a bit like um I think a lot of you will know the um House of Commons Select Committee report on homeopathy in 2010 2009 2010 I I think where they looked at the evidence base for homeopathy, and it was, of course, negative. Surprise, um, surprise. Yes. <laughs> I was actually at a couple of the um, hearings for that, which was, was quite interesting. Um, I, I was sitting just a, a, a couple of metres away from the guy from Boots Chemist when, uh, when, when he said that um, oh, we, we don't sell it because there's evidence, we sell it because customers want it. <laughs> <laughs> which was quite an admission. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> um, but of course, the government didn't implement it. It took them a, a year or so, I think, to produce a, a response to it. But what the government said was, we'll leave that up to CCGs, the clinical local com- um, groups of doctors to decide. We're not going to make the decision for them. So they kind of backed out of making a, a decision because it would have been politically difficult to do scientifically it's very easy to do but uh, we've got you know the, the, you know MPs who are uh, members of parliament who are sympathetic or outright advocates of, of homeopathy and we've got um, Prince Charles yeah exactly one yes. of the royal family as well <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah. yeah certainly Prince Charles I mean everybody goes on and saying no oh the Queen's are I think well I don't think she's ever actually said what what she thinks of homeopathy. She may well be a a fan, um, but you, you keep seeing things like you know she takes her red box of um, homeopathic remedies everywhere. I've never seen it. I'm not sure MD has, or I'm not sure where that came from. But it's a a, a, a story that that does around. But we know Prince Charles has has, yeah. has some influence. So I think it would be politically difficult. Um, for the government to um, say, right, we're not going to fund any more homeopathy. But there, there's still still something to do because now you and uh, especially the Good Thinking Society uh, start uh, doing that. So contacting CCGs directly, right? 
Yes. If you look at um, the website, the, the um, Good Thinking Society, you'll see on there, it will tell you how many um, CCGs still fund homeopathy. I think it's, it's, it's mostly now a few round about Bristol and a couple in London. Um, but most of the other CCGs, they have a, a policy on um, um, treatments of limited cl- clinical evidence. They've got various terms for it. But most of them don't fund homeopathy because they know it's got no evidence. Um, so it's a case of just finding the ones that still do and then trying to persuade them to, to, to stop doing it, saying, here's the evidence. There is none. Mm-hmm. Why are you still wasting taxpayers', taxpayers money on it? Mm. Yeah. So with all the um the work that you do um how uh, what, how is it done in terms of like your official format what's the um what kind of organization is Nightingale collaboration We're not funded now we were funded uh, Simon Singh gave us our, our seed funding to get us going mm-hmm. um but we're now not funded as of last year we've not been funded as of the end of last year So it's all um, just on a voluntary basis then Yes yeah yeah absolutely yeah Okay so I just do it because I, I have the time to do it and I, I can do it and I'll be carrying on doing it. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's pretty awesome. We always get um, accused of, uh, we're funded by Big Pharma. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard that since about this afternoon, I think. It was actually in some comments on the blog. Um, I was accused of being funded by Big Pharma. And I said, <laughs> nope. <laughs> never have been, never will be. And... We say so on our website, and an amazing number of people don't look at the website. We have an about page, which is quite yeah. a common um, thing, I believe, on websites um, that, that tell you a lot about it. There's, we don't receive funding from anybody. No, but how yes. is it really funded? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but how are pseudoscientists funded? <laughs> they are being paid for by the people they, they uh, actually uh, fool, yeah. Sure. I think it's, it, this actually it raises an interesting question, um, and 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 that is that um, a lot of homeopaths they are absolutely convinced that homeopathy is medicinal, that it can have real effects, it really treats people, it really cures people. Um, I think this is something we found with making the ASA complaints of homeopaths. The people who are making these claims, by and large, 99 point whatever percent of them, fervently believe in what they're doing. Yeah. They are not conning people. They are not um, misleading people. They really think they are doing some good. And who are we to question what they, they do when they're doing, you know, they're helping, they're genuinely helping people. And I have absolutely no doubt that the vast, vast, vast majority of them um, really do believe that. Mm. Um, the, the, I mentioned earlier Andy um, Lewis's uh, blog, The Quackometer. Yeah. That's quackometer.net. I can't remember the woman's name. She, there was a guest post going back five or six years, I think. Um, it was Sue somebody, I think, who was an ex-homeopath. Mm-hmm. An ex-homeopath, a rare breeds, I think. But she gave an absolutely fascinating account of how she got into homeopathy. And how she came out of it, how she realised that it was it was nonsense. But I, I think that's essential reading for any um, any sceptic. I think it's getting in and trying to understand the the mindset of yeah. of a homeopath and see how you are drawn into it, how you're led to believe that big pharma is is, is dangerous and um, uh, and evil, and because the solution is in this nice, simple, safe um, homeopathy. And yeah. it's it's once you you get into this thing of not questioning stuff 
that um, you get just dragged into this big hole and very few get out of it. And particularly when, um, if you've gone through the, your training of whatever, you know, few years, whatever it is, and you spent a lot of your, you invest a lot of your own time and money in training to be a homeopath, you may be giving up your income, mm-hmm. partitioning off that and say, yeah, they, those are my beliefs of homeopathy and they're paying the mortgage or they're paying for our food on the table. Um, I might not, you know, I'm, I'm maybe having doubts, but maybe don't want to think too much about it because you may have no other career choice. You may have no other source of income. But there are, there are, um, there's things like chiropractors, um, who have done the same. Um, and I'm, mind escapes me at the moment. He's, he's, he's posting an Edzard Ernst blog, um, where he's realized that it's, that chiropractic is a load of bogus nonsense as well. Yeah. Um, and, and he's, he went through the same thing. He went through his training. Uh, Preston Long is his name, um, and, and sort of realised at the end of it, he he thought it was bogus by the time he graduated, but he really had no choice. He you know that was he just spent four or five years um, learning chiropractic, and you know that was going to be his career. But I, I think that you have to put yourself in that mindset and realise that there may be homeopaths out there who know it's nonsense. Yeah, but let's face it, a lot of them. Do do some have some benefit to their customers, and you hear this time and time again. Um, there are some downsides and some harms that they can cause, but um, you know, spending an hour chatting with somebody about their their health needs, you know, probably is is quite that nice might be beneficial, good. yeah. <laughs> but it's it's when you start getting the anti anti conventional medicine and the anti vax. Um, ideas from many homeopaths that that's when it becomes a lot more dangerous or it's the the treating aids in africa yeah and it develops into an actual anti-science attitude yes yeah yes yeah Uh, absolutely and that's the 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 harm you know when they're getting sugar pills from malaria when you go to you know an african country where you might catch malaria or instead of vaccinations (laughs) yes homeopathic you know prophylaxis oh yeah homeoprophylaxis or um, treating AIDS, you know, w- with homeopathy. Yeah, getting back to um, because it's a, I think it comes across quite clearly that you where where your drive comes from to to do all this. Um, mm. But and you did mention a couple of things uh, that that you have achieved uh, with the Nightingale collaboration. Uh, what would you say are the major projects that you've worked on so far? So you um, did mention homeopathy. You did mention yes, the, homeopathy. The, the that's, one of the things I wanted to say was a lot of these things are take a long time. Yeah. Um, not just the amount of effort you've got, to, the skeptics got to put into it, but it's just the regulator authorities can take a long time. The ASA, as I, I said earlier, you know, had to find a way of dealing with homeopaths. Um. And it's taken essentially six years, and we're not quite at the end yet, for them to, to do that. Not many people, you know, particularly younger ones, you know, whether they're maybe having a family or whatever, or have a career, you know, who's going to spend six years of their life waiting for the regulator to, to do something? They will go off and, you know, do something else in that time. Um, I've got the tenacity, I think, to, to do that. <laughs> um, and it's the same with quite a few of the other things. There's another thing which we've not publicised, and I'm not going to say too much about it because it's still being processed as a, as a complaint with um, two, two as a joint complaint with two regulators. But it's about um, a, home, a seller of homeopathy, 
and we've used two statute regulators here. This is now three years, I think, into it, and our third complaint. And uh, we will write it up at some point, but it might be the end of this year, I think, before this really finishes. And this is just trying to get two regulators to do their job properly. And on the first two complaints, it was about something they were selling in a shop. Um, and we were able to buy this homeopathic medicine in quotes um, that we should never that we think we should never have been sold. So we made a complaint to um, two regulators, said this isn't on. We think this is um, breach of medicines regulations, and uh, said yeah we'll deal with the complaint. They dealt with the complaint, and uh, the day after we, they told us yeah we've dealt with it and we've told 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 them off for doing it. We went back to the same shop and bought exactly the same thing again, the same product again. So within a week, we'd put a second complaint in and uh, said, oh, yeah, oh, right, okay, we'll go and deal with it again. And then they said, yeah, we dealt with it, and we slapped the wrists and uh, given them a warning, and, uh, yep, that's it, case, case closed. So the day after that, we went back to the same shop and bought the same, exactly the same <laughs> product yet again that we shouldn't have been able to buy. Um, so they're now, we, we've written strong letters to them saying, look, you've had two attempts so far to sort this out. You haven't done it yet. You need to get a grip. We're always very polite on these things, of course. Um, it's, it's easy to lose, you know, to get angry with them, but you really have to just deal with it on a you know, professional basis. Um, but we said, look, you've had two attempts. You really have to deal with this properly now. So they, we think they're dealing with it properly. But until we get the result, we don't want to say anything, partly because we don't want to give anything away, um, um, and we want to let the authorities deal with the complaints themselves. And then when we get the final result, it's when we'll publicise it. And we've, we've done that over the years as well. We've said very little about what we're doing or what we're in the middle of. It's only when we get the result do we publicise it and say, um, partly to say, you know, this didn't work, this worked. Um, you know, hopefully people can, can, can learn from that. But... That's that's you know some of the big things take a long time to do. Can you actually publicize, or if if not, why can't you? Uh, why can't you actually publicize the the fact that you have filed a complaint? Um, we probably could, and I I, I think probably just over caution. Okay, but it's um it, it I, I get attacked at the best of times for you know. Anything I do, if I comment, I spend far too much of my time arguing with homeopaths on, on websites and, and things like that. And I get enough flack as it is um, about doing that, although that's nothing to do with Nightingale. You know, I just do that because I want <laughs> to my spare time. <laughs> well, it's actually interesting because it, it does hone your skills mm, on, yeah, yeah, on argument does. and providing evidence and, and criticising evidence. You know, it's good from that. And you never do it to persuade a homeopath because most of them will never change their minds for reasons we've already discussed. But it's for other readers there in the comments section of whatever um, website it is. Mm -hmm. But if we did announce we were, we've were, we just done something, there's the possibility that um, whoever we've complained about will say, yeah, you've, you've, you've blown it. You've, you've, you know, I'm, I'm not going to stand a good chan a chance of a fair hearing now because you've told the world about it. We're, we're not really into PR or, you know, or, or, or that we'd rather just do things that were find out what was effective, do that, uh, you know, prove show that it's effective, and then let everybody else um, 
you know, take it on if they if they want to do similar complaints. Um, I know that this is not why you're doing it, but what do you consider to be your biggest win to date from your campaigns? Oh, um, the Ockham Award. Apart from Ockham Award, I don't want to. I don't want to boast. But we've actually won two um, um, Ockham Awards, but. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. That, yes. what, what was the other one? Uh, the the, the, the one other was... one was, was was something on the edge of Nightingale, but it was um, a, a bill in the UK um, that was um, it was called the Sachi Bill. It was a medical innovation bill, and this was something that was um, put forward by Lord Sachi, uh, Lord Morris Sachi of Sachi oh, and Sachi, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah the, the the marketing advertising company. Uh, he's chair of the Conservative Party in the UK, so there's a fair bit of power. And it, I'll, I'll go off at a slight tangent on this. It was a, a rather tragic case because his wife had died of a fairly rare cancer, which was utterly tragic. But about a year after that, he started going around saying, we need to fix this. Um, and he concluded, bearing in mind he's no science education or no medical you know, medical background at all, he decided that the reason why cancer wasn't being cured was doctors were being um, deterred from innovating. Um, and um, if the barrier, because they were, they were afraid of being sued, but, you know, things went wrong. So he, he wrote the Medical Innovation Bill and he managed to get some support for it um, before it was published. Because you know, who could be against innovation? Who could be against encouraging mm-hmm. doctors to innovate? It all sounded great. Unfortunately, when it, it when it was published, and it was a the actual bill amounted to about half a page. Um, it said um, if the a doctor innovates um, and um, he, he, he claims protection under the medical innovation bill, patients or their um, survivors, their, their next of kin, can't sue the doctor. But the, the fundamental problem was, and it was pointed out by just every Royal College of Medicine, um, lawyers, um, um, a whole load of people, professors of medicine, doctors aren't dissuaded because they're afraid of being sued. They innovate all the time. And there's not one instance, one example of where a doctor had not innovated um, because he was afraid of being sued in case, if it went wrong. And it was just a complete um, lack of any understanding by Lord Saatchi about how research is done, how uh, medicine's done and how science is done. But the, he just kept pushing this and pushing this. And because he had a lot of power, it did actually go through the House of Lords and the House of, it was a private member's bill, House of Lords, House of Commons, back to the House of Lords. And eventually, um, the, the, the worst thing really was he kept getting told by people who knew um, that this is not a problem. You're trying to solve a problem that doesn't exist. And if you this bill does go through, you're going to allow a lot of quacks in yeah. because they'll be able to claim the statue defence, the medical innovation bill defence that, um, what, the homeopathy, homeopathy didn't cure your, your cancer or these these um, seeds didn't, you know, or, or um, didn't cure your cancer and, you've been, and your, your your wife died. Oh, sorry about that, but you can't sue me. Hmm. Um, so that that was the angle we took it at from Nightingale Collaboration. We submitted a response to the Department of Health's consultation on it, saying this really is a dangerous bill because it misunderstands um, 
everything about medicine and science and research and will open the door to, to, to quacks and people will suffer because of it. But to cut a long story short, <laughs> believe it or not, um, the, the, most of the stuff was taken out of the bill. And although it did get passed, all the bill eventually said was that uh, the Department of Health would make up a, uh, create a database of innovative treatments. And I think that was two years ago since it was passed and we're still waiting to find out about this database. But in fact, the bill gave the Department of Health the power to create a database when they actually already had the power to create the database. Hmm. So the bill itself was we neutered effectively. All its teeth were taken out of it. Hmm. And the bit about you know not suing doctors was removed. So we considered that success. So we set up a campaign and there was a small campaign group of you know of professors of lawyers of a whole range of people and we defeated it so it was a kind of you know side campaign to Nightingale but we won a, a second Ockham award for that mm. <laughs> year, year before last mm. which was good so we're the only people who won two was it that that you got the the best skeptic campaign award no 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 we got that separately we got that um you got that uh year before two years before I can't remember now yeah, we yeah. got that b- because before it, that. You got it into 2014. And you yes. you you had been I think from the from right from the get-go of uh, the Ockham Awards you 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 had been nominated every yes. every year. Yeah, <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> we didn't win the first few years, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But we eventually, they eventually gave in and gave us one, yeah. So yeah. it was the overall campaign or the, or the overall um, activities of the Nightingale collaboration that's right, that, yes. that was awarded yes. there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, absolutely, yes. So, so do you have any ambitions to go internationally or, or are you focusing solely on the, on the UK? Um, f- focusing on the UK... Um, Right at the start, there were a few um, people in various countries um, who you know, contacted and said, "You know, fantastic idea! You know, what advice have you got?" So, uh, you know, in the early days, I was able to give them at least some advice on, on or at least say what we'd done. I think in in some cases it was too early to say whether we you know, how successful we were going to be. But um, you know, there were a few people who said, "Yeah, that's a great idea." Um, you know, um, what have you done? How have you set it up? Any advice for us? So, hopefully, a few other organisations would. So, so you may have inspired others, but you're not. You don't have the ambition to, to no, I, grow I think, into an international. Uh, I think it's got to for for the reasons I said earlier that you know laws are different, languages different, yeah. customs are different. That um, it's really got to be up to sceptics in their own country. I think to mm-hmm. to to do something. So we'll be expecting Sweden and you know, Hungary sure. and Latvia to absolutely. be, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but as I said, in Europe, you know the the medicines regulations are pretty common mm-hmm. yeah. because they all stem from the same EU EU directive. But that won't affect you for for too long, actually. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Uh, I, I know you've said that. you know you, you're not um, the, the European Skeptics podcast is not political, but uh, yes, <laughs> no, and we have to we have to emphasize that we are not Eurosceptics. Uh, we, we are all <laughs> you, for Europe. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah. But um, you know, peop, um, you, you foreigners that are in London and Brighton will we'll throw you out at some point. I'm sure. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that, that, that's, that's a serious point. You know that. Uh, uh, yeah, it could be. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, it is. 
So, Alan, um, what can our listeners do to help your work, um, the work of Nightingale Collaboration, um, to s- spread the word? Um, it, it's spreading the word, I think. Mm. Um, it's and it's it's looking for opportunities. Um, uh, any skeptic can do something positive. They need to find the local Reiki healer who's making the the claims that they're not allowed to. Um, it's the you know, finding the adverts in the local paper or um, on on websites, and it's it's choosing your targets. I think, not what well, target maybe isn't the right word, but um, choosing your complaints carefully. I think, mm-hmm. and uh, particularly if you're doing it for the first time, is don't go in, you know, with a big massive complaint. Particularly if it's a regulator you don't know much about, you don't really know the rules, and you don't know how they apply their rules, and you don't know the processes. Put a small complaint in first that you think is a definite breach. Read up on the rules, read up on the code of practice or whatever it is, and uh, say, yeah, I think that is in breaching that. You know, the the Advertising Authority is pretty clear um, for homeopaths. Really, don't make any claims. Um, you know, certainly don't mention any medical conditions. That is almost certainly a breach of the, the advertising code. So if you can find a few things and say, and and learn how to put together a complaint, there is some advice on on, on our website. It's nightingale-collaboration.org, and uh, just have it, give it a go, and try something small. Once you get a, a you know a win, you know the, the 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 sense of winning is good to know you have done some good and you've you've curbed some misleading claim somewhere or other. Then go off and have a look round and you know see what else you can do. But every sceptic is capable of doing it. It doesn't take, you don't need to be um, financed to do it. You, you can just do it in your spare time uh, as and when you feel like it and make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Step by step. Yep. Yes. Yep. And I think on that note, uh, we will have to uh, wrap up our interview. Um, Alan, first of all, I wish you all the best uh, with Thank with you. the future campaigns and with all the ongoing campaigns. Uh, wish you all the success you can. Um, and thanks very much for joining us today. Good talking to you all. Sign up for the websites and sign up for the, the newsletter. And uh, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank Likewise. you very much. Thank you. Take all care. Right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that was the Nightingale Collaboration. Hmm. What a nice guy he seems to be, Alan. Yeah. yeah, doing great job as well. Yeah, and let me point out something else. Have you noticed that in the UK, Simon Singh is behind everything? Oh yeah, he's that has something to do mind. with skepticism. He's like Voldemort, right? Behind um, yeah, <laughs> conspiracy. He's he's, he's, he's pulling all the all the strings. He's wow. Yeah, and uh, actually. I uh, I wanted to mention it during the interview as well that um, Trick or Treatment, the book that uh, he co-wrote with uh, Edzard Ernst, there is a very good couple of um, paragraphs with, I think it's, it's, it's an actual uh, chapter that explains the story of, tells the story of Florence Nightingale and, and how she came up with, uh, with uh, using statistics in healthcare. And uh, 
how she could prove that she was actually right in her proposed solutions to a couple of problems. Mm. So I do recommend that it's a it's very well written as well, just as Simon Singh does. Mm. And um, yeah, mm. the the book itself is is a good read anyway. Mm. I do recall the my first encounter with the Nightingale collaboration being uh, sometime when there was the libel ref- reform already uh going on so as a result of the campaign that the british chiropractors association launched against simon singh mm. and there was a counter campaign and that was quite successful so a lot of things emerged from that mm. actually that period yeah and i'd like to point out that alan is 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 such a good example of how how Everybody can make a difference. You know, if you just take a little bit of time, you don't exactly. have to be an expert, to at least not to begin with. You start out and you just send a few emails and you point out things to the authorities when, when things are not don't seem right to you and you can make a huge difference. Um, on this note, on the 10th of June, I will be doing a 50k bike ride in the middle of the night in London. It's called the Night Rider. And I'm going to be raising money for a great cause. It's a charity called Cancer Research UK. They are one of the largest cancer charities in, in, in England, if I'm not mistaken. So if our listeners are so inclined, uh, please help me raise some money for this great cause. I have also, I am also going to shave my head completely. For this, uh, charity, uh, for, for this cause, I, uh, and my hair will be donated to another charity called the Little Princess Trust, and they provide hair wigs, real hair wigs to the girls, well, to kids who, um, were affected by cancer or other diseases like alopecia, etc. Wow, that's so, a huge thing. Great. We won't yes. recognize you. Yeah, it'll all go. It's just hair. Fantastic. So. Yeah. Your yeah. hat's gonna be like a ball. It'll be like a tennis ball, to be precise, but yes. Wow, yeah. Please. And I'll be known as Yelena uh, Levine, the tennis ball. The tennis ball. Uh, you know the girl girl with the tennis ball head? Yeah, that, that, that's her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not as cool as the girl with the dragon yeah. tattoo. Another example of ec- activism that I think everybody can make a difference. And I will link um, to my charity ra- fundraising page. Uh, in the podcast notes, but it's on justgiving.com um, website. You can just search by my name. <laughs> All right. I'd like to thank both of you, Yelena Thanks, and Pontus, thank you. for joining me today. And until next week, goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. 
All music in the program was written and performed by Kisha J. Gray and George Frab and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. Oh, what's the noise? Sorry, I hit the wrong. Yelena with a, a glass of wine. I don't <laughs> no, know. No, sorry, I, I I hit the wrong button on my uh, on my watch and. Uh, <laughs> Your watch it's, makes it's, funny noises. It started. It started beeping my my phone instead of uh, getting <laughs> silent. <laughs> Is that okay? Should I do it again? Yeah, I, no, I think it's gonna be okay. I, I can't do it more seriously than that. I'm, I'm, I'm. Just, my uh, mind. Nice. Is just... All right. And in other news, uh, Andras has promised to donate his beard. What? <laughs> What's your problem with my beard? It won't be a problem when you donate it. Well, you know, I'm just jealous because I can't grow a beard. I don't have the <laughs> genes for it. <laughs> <laughs>